Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Elkema. Welcome to the Better Life podcast. This is Rob Elkema. I'm here with Dave Ness. What's up? And our very first guest speaker, David McElfresh. Hey, hey, hey. Otherwise known as Fresh. Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> the real Fresh. That's right. Yeah. So I'm excited to have Fresh on today. We are going to do an interview about Fresh's career, what he did before real estate. We work with Fresh. I guess we should mention that. Yeah. <laughs> and have worked with them. Awesome. We might be biased. One, one of the best advisors at Thrive, one of the best real estate agents in all of Denver Metro. So we'll talk a little bit about his background and how he got into real estate, what the journey has been like up to this point. But we want to take a good amount of today and talk about real estate investing, which is something that Fresh is pretty passionate about and has done some pretty cool things. And uh, we're also going to make sure to plug his new podcast, Mm -hmm. which will be dropping soon, the Real Estate Retirement Club. So I guess first things first, let me tell you guys a little bit about David McElfresh. He has been at Thrive for just over five years. Half a decade. And uh, he has over 165 lifetime transactions. Now, Ness, I know you're not very good at math. So I did the math for you. It's That's an average of 33 transactions a year. Got it. Roughly Uh, 200. Yes. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) and Fresh, we want to celebrate you. You recently had your first million dollar closing. (laughs) Um, Huge. Only five years in. We were were laughing about this because in Denver real estate, you know, we're in 2023 and the average price point is a little over 600. Yeah. That's climbed in recent years. But uh, we were joking because it's it's unbelievably abnormal to have been in real estate for as long as Fresh has and to have done as many transactions as he has yeah. and to not had a million. He's coached people to have million dollars. I was about to say, what's, what's cool about that story thing, all jokes aside, is yeah. that David has, has uh, coached and led and mentored multiple people that have achieved that. And, and sometimes it takes a lot of strategy and a lot of confidence to do that above the million dollar price point in our market, which is really cool. And probably takes a lot of humility as the, as the coach and as the leader to see the people that you're leading achieve that and be still excited about them and still excited about their success. You got to bite the bullet a little bit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. A little bit more about him. He is the founder of multiple multi-million dollar companies, which we're going to talk about a couple of those today. One of those is a education company that you and your wife, Christina, started eight years ago. So congrats on that. On the personal side, they've got two kids, one on the way. David grew up in Fort Collins and has been in Denver for 12 years now. And we'll get into this more, but he comes from a deep entrepreneurial background mm-hmm. ever before he even got into real estate. And then I'm so excited to talk to you about real estate investing mm-hmm. today. Like I'm excited for the interview part because I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of your journey pivoting from your career before real estate into real estate and, and what got you to that point and then what you've been able to do since then. But, you know, we talked so much about this concept of the better life. Yeah. And one thing we've identified in previous episodes is so many people's better life concept involves passive income. Yep. Mm-hmm. And because we work with people in the real estate industry, when we're interviewing people, when we're talking to people, a huge part of generating passive income is they want to have their own real estate portfolio. Yep. Right. And so I think this episode is really going to hit home for a lot of people 
that are in the real estate industry and listening into this podcast, but also people outside of the real estate industry that want to get into real estate investing or are already in it, but want to expand their portfolio. So really good stuff. So why don't we start here? Tell us a little bit about yourself, particularly, man, I don't know if you want to go this far back, but bring us back to your childhood and how you grew up, right? And then get us to, you get done with college, you jump into the working world and tell us about what you were doing before you got into real estate. And then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll pick up once you pivoted into real estate. Okay, sweet. So yeah, we'll dive in. I've lived in Colorado, majority of my life, grew up in Fort Collins. Yep. So about an hour north of Denver for uh, people that aren't familiar. And interestingly enough, I actually talk about this with my family a lot because both my sister and I became very entrepreneurial. I'm a, she's my only sibling. Okay. She's five years older. My parents both were educators, and so they both oh. joke around, how did you guys do this? Why did you guys do this? <laughs> what did we do wrong? <laughs> we gave birth to two entrepreneurs. <laughs> so, but yeah, my mom was, gosh, 35-year music teacher in, in a, a district up there, and then my dad worked for the local university. Got it. And yeah. uh, both in education, both loved it, both fantastic, um, but not necessarily any sort of entrepreneurial background. Yeah. And so as I actually grew up, one of the things that I got highly involved in was soccer. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of soccer, played at a high level in a club up in Fort Collins, also played for some teams in the state here in Denver. And as I transitioned into college, one thing that I identified is I said, hey, I don't want to continue to play at a high level, but I want to be involved. And I loved the role and the concept of mentorship. Oh, interesting. And so very... So that's, that's the first time you had experienced a shift from what you were already experiencing at this high-level concept. And you were thinking about that those days are waning, maybe, on the soccer field. But I still want to continue with that mindset. Yeah, and why was that? I think I knew there were more challenges for me professionally. Mm-hmm. And as a player, I enjoyed a lot of the challenges in what I did. And I was in an interesting role because I was often a captain of the team. I was in a position where you could see the field and almost be in a coaching role. Got it. Mm. Kind of in the center of the defense, you see the entire field, you can help coach and maneuver everybody. And so that very easily translated into a mentorship or really what we call the coach of the team. And so actually my first job as a coach was in high school and I, you know, coached one of the, I think they were eight-year-old kids, and we coached them for a year. And yeah. it, was, it was my spring season of uh, senior year in high school, and it was a blast. Nice. I loved it. So cool. Yeah. And then that really sparked, okay, I want to continue to do this. And then actually through throughout college, I was very, very focused on that aspect of my journey of trying mm-hmm. to further myself in, in college uh, mm-hmm. soccer. And so... I went through all the processes. Uh, there's a couple different federations and, and ways to get licenses for soccer coaching. Okay. And so I went through all of those. And actually, it was, it was kind of wild. I remember one of them, it was kind of the, the precipice of the last license that you get. The, the guy said, I think you're one of the youngest guys here because I was 20 years old. Yeah. And from, time. from what I understand, I, I never looked into licensing as a coach, but I remember, you know, playing college soccer a couple of years myself. Yeah. I remember coaches were always talking about, I have a, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation level B or level A or level whatever. Exactly. Um, That's a lot of work to get those licenses. It's a lot of work. It's probably more work than it takes to get a real estate license. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sadly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hey, have you talked to Dora about that? (laughs) (laughs) So no, but that was a, it was a fun process to go through that. Yeah. And, um, and really further that journey. And and during that time, obviously I was, you know, going on the licensing path, but then also coaching higher level youth teams. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end of my college career, started to get involved with a university up in Northern Colorado, University of Northern Colorado. Mm-hmm. They've got awesome. a women's college program. Yep. And so I was one of the assistants on staff over there. Awesome. And really, I had this, this concept and this idea. I'm a huge, I love following big, successful personas okay. in coaching. Yeah. And so, you know, John Wooden is one of them. Yeah, I was about to say. Um, Mike Krzyzewski mm-hmm. has been a huge favorite of mine. And so, of course, with that concept, uh, college coaching, mm-hmm was attractive and exciting. Mm, sure. And so I, for a long time, wanted to go the college coaching route for yeah. soccer. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. People that are doing it for the love of the game, not for the money. Yeah. Well, and in particularly at every age, you can make a huge impact, but there was something really exciting about somebody that's just about to transition into adulthood. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And feeling like you could impact them, not just in the sport, but yeah. also in their personal life as they propel themselves into the next. In their mentality and their vision. Oh and their, gosh, yeah. yeah. Yep. So I get much. It. Yeah, yep. exactly. There's there's only so much of that life stuff you can talk to about mm-hmm. with an eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But Especially 20, boys. yeah, exactly. <laughs> 20, 21, 22-year-olds, they, they start to grasp onto those yeah, things. Totally. So that's really cool. So good. So then was that what you were doing before, right before you started at Thrive? No, that was a long time okay. <laughs> before Thrive. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about, and I want to go back to this because I made a note. You and your older sister are both really entrepreneurial. Yes. But your parents were not entrepreneurs. So where did this, where did this drive mm. start surfacing for you and where did this really come from? Yeah, it's a fair question. I, I've always tried to look a little bit at the world in uh, maybe we'll call it like a contrarian view. Mm. Mm. And like, everybody says you should do this or you should do that. And I, to be totally transparent, sometimes this has gotten me into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I, was I, de- I know your wife and I, that, that ain't going to work with your wife. Oh, man, it's gotten me in trouble a lot at home. <laughs> so a perfect example is when I was younger, I was definitely the kid that thought to myself, what do I need to do? Not to pass, but to get like a pretty good grade, but to kind of like 80-20 this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to get a B plus. Mom's not going to get mad at me. <laughs> They're going to be fine with it. They're not going to be super excited about it, but I'll, I'll get by. Yeah. And then I'll have enough time to go play soccer, do video games, do the things that I really, really want to do. Yeah. This is so funny. You're one of the most cerebral people I know. And just <laughs> this thought process as a child. It's all, it's it's, all calculated. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> not surprised at all, but I love hearing that because like, that's so you. Well, and it's interesting because I, the very first time I remember when I really, really needed to sit down and like actually work hard at something was in college. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that was the best best experience for me yeah. because I needed, I needed something like that prior to going out into the working world. That was sort of a wake up call. For yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was two separate Got a music background because my mom, my mom's a music teacher. Sure. And my sister prior to her current career, she was performing musical theater, Broadway, all that kind of good stuff. Okay. So I remember sitting in the choir room at Colorado state university and I was the only non music major mm. in the whole choir. Mm. Everybody else, you know, eat, Full on music. Oh, yeah. all day long. Yeah. And I was like, if I'm going to hang with these people, 
I got to practice a lot more than I am now because I just show up and I'm like, yeah, I think I can do this. Right. That's what you do in high school. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. not working. Yeah. Did you play an instrument or did you sing? It was singing. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was a bass in the uh, the choir. I had no idea. Yep. Exactly. I, I, That's cool. That is something I sometimes try to keep close to the vest. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't ask you to stand up That's at a company meeting. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That, we got to do that. Now, so full disclosure, it, right? I'm usually the guy in the background that's doing the boom, boom, boom. Oh, got it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded a lot like the Oompa Loompas from yep. where we walk out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so that was, that was the journey. And that's where we, you know, kind of finished up in, in Fort Collins. Okay. For jobs and all that kind of stuff. My, my, my wife actually got a great opportunity in Denver. Mm. And this was post-graduate. We both did our, our grad degrees up there and then moved to Denver because she got a great opportunity. And we also talked about, we just love Colorado so much. Yeah. And unfortunately in college soccer, or really any college sport, you are just jumping around every two, three years, mm -hmm. new university, new opportunity, new opportunity. Yeah. And we decided we didn't want that lifestyle. And you have to eat, sleep, breathe, whatever sport you're playing. Like, you don't have time for anything else. And, you know, I was okay with that piece of it. Mm -hmm. But I think I've got family here in Colorado. Um, fortunately, my wife's from Chicago, but she was okay staying in Colorado. And I just said, okay, we've got to balance some of the lifestyle pieces here. Mm -hmm. So I transitioned from college to the youth sport. Okay. And uh, I got hooked up with a, a club here in Denver. And it was a great gig. I actually ended up being their marketing director and business business director, kind of business development is yeah. really what it was. And so I got to do, you know, by day, six, seven hours of that day job. And then I still then had the opportunity in the afternoons to go coach That's some, awesome. some pretty high level teams. Yeah. And for three, four years, I was like, this is the life. Perfect. Right. Yeah. You know, you get part of your brain that gets yeah. worked. The business aspect. Exactly. Of yeah. And then I still get to go coach and have that passion. Yeah. So That's so cool. So that's when, when we, now what brought us to Denver. And then there was a certain moment when I talk about that contrarian thing. I think with a lot of jobs, there's a little bit of some corporate feel. Sure. And I started to feel that a little bit at the club. Where you're just you're either bumping into a ceiling or you're just having to do things that you feel like are, I don't want to say below you, but they're not challenging you. Mm -hmm. yep. And when I started to feel that, I started to basically I have conversations with my wife about, Hey, what, what could be next? Mm -hmm. Right. And we just started to brainstorm and, uh, just like anything, she was running into some friction points with, she was a K-12 educator at the time. She was an eighth grade science teacher. Okay. And she was consistently complaining about these courses yeah. that she was taking. And so one day I actually remember vividly, we were driving on I-70 up to the mountains. Mm -hmm. We were skiing and we were, we were about to really have an awesome day, but I was thinking about this and I looked at her and I said, hey, what if you developed your own courses? Could you do that? And if you could, I'll run the business side of things. Mm -hmm. And it took her a little while to, to come to grips with it, but she said, yeah, I think I've, I've got some awesome resources. Mm -hmm. I've got some books that are great. I could have some fun with this. And what's, and what's a little while? Are we talking like days or weeks or months? <laughs> To develop all this stuff yeah yeah it probably was a six month process of okay. just wow sitting together developing things me doing the, the back end and, and remember you know we're both doing day jobs totally. too so you know trying to fit in at night and weekends all that kind of fun stuff yeah, yeah. Um, this, this is a huge leap for you guys at this point gigantic yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and we we'd had some other ideas i had some other ideas of entrepreneurial things before this with 
online soccer coaching and some different things. But this was the first business that I really felt like, okay, yeah, this this could be fun. Let's really pursue this. Yeah. Can I can I pause there and ask you a question? For sure. Because you're definitely somebody who's very visionary. Mm. Ever, ever since I knew you, I was like, yep, this guy, he's got that that visionary in his DNA. Oftentimes with visionaries, they tend to have all these great ideas, but they sometimes struggle with the follow through on those ideas. So <laughs> you're, yes. you're nodding your head and smiling, but yet you guys launched this business from the ground up, which any business you're launching from the ground up, whether it's real estate or an education company, like you guys started back in 2015, it's a lot of work to launch anything. Yes. And so I guess a couple questions. Did you struggle with the actual like follow through and execution component? And then how did, how did you get through that as somebody who's extremely visionary and high on ideation and high on creativity, but actually buckling down to do, to do the more mundane parts of starting a business? Mm. Yes. Two, two pieces to that. Mm-hmm. Number one, I was very fortunate that I was partnered because you say I'm that visionary role. I was partnered with somebody that is the integrator role. Was that Christine? And that was my wife. Okay. Right. So and she was great at developing the courses. I mean, she did all of the hard work. That's genius. You married an integrator. <laughs> for the, it was the, totally by chance. For the listeners, that's a reference and a, and a tip of the hat to Gino Wickman, EOS, Entrepreneur's Operating System. It's a book. It's also a whole coaching program. It's a whole theory. It's a whole approach to business that I know and love. So does Rob. Yeah, and of course you do too, David. So, which we'll, that's we'll, just a reference. We'll throw this in the show notes if you're yeah. familiar with EOS. Well, I'll say this: if you're not familiar with EOS, go pick up the book Traction. Yeah, that's a great go. starting point. If you've already read Traction, you're like, oh my gosh, I love EOS. Specifically, when you're talking about visionary integrator, go pick mm-hmm. up a book called Rocket Fuel. Yes, yes. solid, and and that'll take your understanding to a whole nother level, right? And I know you totally. you recommended that to me about a year ago. Yeah. I read it and I was like. Why didn't I read this 10 years ago? I know. <laughs> These are the books we should have all read in high school. Yeah. So go ahead. You, yeah. you stumbled into this visionary integrator relationship almost, almost by accident. Yeah. 100% by accident. I didn't know about it. I didn't even know at the time my weak spots mm-hmm. as a visionary. But I was very fortunate that she was the one that was doing all of the day-to-day hard work of developing all the courses. And I was doing all of the, okay, set it up set it and forget it, right? The 80-20 yeah. that I've done yeah, my whole yeah. life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So good. And so that was number one for why things worked well. But to, to your second point, the other reason why I think it worked well is, and I always say this, when somebody's trying to start something new or make change, the pain was big enough. Oh, mm. okay. Talk talk more about that. Where was the pain coming from? Yeah, it was it was from the day job. Okay. I was finally starting to feel the pain enough at my day job. Feeling like you were stuck multiple things. I was stuck. I wasn't having enough opportunities. I was trying to figure out what would the next, I think when you're in a job and you can see what the next few years look like, mm. that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. And I was starting to get to a point where I was thinking, I don't foresee a future that's exciting to me. Yeah. And just as a clear example, I would have to go into the office of a colleague who was very, very good and knowledgeable as a coach. Yeah. And I would have to help them write an email. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So you can just see some of the pain that's coming around and I'm yeah, totally. feeling like, okay, this is not long-term yeah. where I, what I want to be doing. Yeah. yeah right. Incredibly mundane. At this point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's that concept in, in uh, business and entrepreneurial endeavors and really just human change. 
not to get overly philosophical, but humans tend to change. And this is kind of think what you're speaking to. Humans tend to change when the pain of the current situation outstrips the pain of the unknown, right? And then it's like, 100%. oh, you know, we all have some fear of the unknown, right? Yes. I mean, everybody does. Yep. But yeah, when that, when, if you think of a scale, like the vision of a scale and when it tilts towards, if this is just not, it's not comfortable for me. It's not right for me psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. It's just not, not working. And we should probably know not working probably over a protracted period of time because we all have to go through seasons that we don't like and, and that are difficult. And, you know, I'm glad because as soon as you said that word pain, I thought of the exact quote that you What's just that? referenced. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, the people don't change until the, the pain of change is less than the pain, the pain of staying the same. There you go. Right, which is exactly where you got to. Yeah. And what's so good about that, though, is, is all of us have those seasons, right, where you had this season where you jumped into something you were passionate about, but then it became something that became very painful for you. And what's good about that is you start to discover what you don't want in a long-term career, mm -hmm. and I might be jumping the gun. So if there's other things you wanted to add, feel free. But that's a great segue into where we wanted to go next, which which is how do you get to the point where you pivot into like this 180-degree turn into mm -hmm. real estate? It's so different from what you have been doing. But you would also, and I, I want to just encourage anybody who's listening to this, if you're in a position where you're doing a job that you don't love or you're doing a job that you're not necessarily passionate about, a lot of times that helps you get clarity on what it is that really makes you come alive and what you want, because it shows you what you don't want in whatever it is you do next. Yeah. So talk about that for a second. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good question. And talking about the transition yeah. into, into real estate, I think we had to do it methodically mm. in each one of these transitions in order to feel comfortable with the risk and the pain involved. Yeah. Cause you, you guys started this education company in 2015. Correct. But yeah. you didn't dive into real estate until 28. Correct. So really to kind of visualize this, the way it worked is I stayed in my job and my role and we were working nights and weekends until we got to the point of with our education company, I could go full time with it and we both felt good. It was still a risk, but it was more of a calculated risk at that point. And how long did that last? So I did that role for about two years. Oh, wow. Good for you, dude. Yeah. Where I was Hats just... off. Yeah. And it was, they're all the things, right? You work hard. But I think there's a certain part of it too, where you know, like every night when I was working hard, I was thinking, hey, this is paying it forward for a certain moment. Mm. And I think there are certain seasons of our life where that should be okay. Yes. Right? Like there's mm. a lot of times where people say, hey, I want things to be easy. I want it yeah. to be fun. I think there are certain seasons of life where it's okay to say, hey, this is going to be hard yeah. for this moment. Yep. And I'm actually really thankful for that because now I know I have that muscle. Yeah. And if I ever need so, to go back to it. That'll be a whole podcast on grit. So grit. <laughs> Which is like way yeah. in today's world and yeah. society. But that, that's what you're talking about. 100%. Grit. Which takes a certain amount of wisdom because if grit goes too long and too unchecked, you end up staying in the same position that you're in. Which ironically... And we might be getting too off track here, but when, when someone stays in, in that kind of line of thinking or work or relationship or whatever it is yeah. for a protracted period of time, while it's painful for them, it's also painful for the world because the world is missing out on what they could have contributed given their specific skill set and talent and vision and contribution. 
You just, know, just so. give me chills. Yeah, so we, we're going to end there. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is, I don't think I've ever heard it said that way, but you're right. Yeah. Right? Like, you have these gifts and talents you get to unleash on the world around you. And um, if you stay in that phase for too long, those never get released. You're just constantly addicted to, I have something to prove, right? I'm constantly doing things today to live for tomorrow. Yes. And that can end up, you're, you're mortgaging you're mortgaging happiness, you're mortgaging future rewards for, for what you're doing today. And it's just this perpetual state of sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, but I agree with you like that. That's really, really healthy for a season. And, and I wrote down one of my all time favorite quotes, Ness, this, you'll love this. It's a uh, Jerry Rice. He says, I'll do today what others won't. So I can have today what others can't. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. And that's, that's exactly what you were doing for those two years. hundred percent. And at least I was able at that moment to connect to that. Mm-hmm. Right. I knew that that was a moment in the future. I didn't know what it, what it would look like. Yeah. But I knew, okay, we're working towards something. Yeah. Right. And, and fortunately, at least for us, we were able to catch traction quickly enough. Yeah. Because um, I think a lot of businesses, when you don't catch traction, it's easy to stop or yes. give up. And so I did that business for about two years as a full-time role. Mm-hmm. And then we made a great transition where then I, I just wasn't feeling fulfilled or even I would say mentally challenged. Mm-hmm. And that once I got the business up and running, then it was, hey, what what new courses can we develop? And it was more of the focus in my wife's area of expertise, and it was less of the business side. Which is tied back, what you just said is tied back to what you mentioned 20 minutes ago when you were playing soccer at a high level. Yes. And, and then realized... I thought the same thing as soon as you yeah, said I want, I want to go into you know an occupation of some kind, but whatever I do, I need to be at the highest level, I think was the quote. And so you did the highest level for mm-hmm. two years, but then the highest level started to degrade right, for you. And so that was kind of your nudge <laughs> to say, oh, wait, I'm, I'm not at the highest level again. So now it's time to go shopping. Exactly. For, for the next, yeah, got it. Exactly. So, no, so it was great, great opportunity. I transitioned into then wanting to go into real estate. There were... And real estate wasn't at that moment the definitive, yes, this is it. Yeah. But it was a new career. And then the goal was is my, my wife would then transition out of her role yep. and she would then run the company. Okay. Yep. And uh, and again, another calculated risk, but we felt really good about where we were at and in, in jumping into that. So yeah. again, I think there are lots of opportunities for risk in life, but I think if you do them correctly, they can be really, really exciting. Yeah. And the downside can be really minimized yeah. if you do it well. I know you well enough to know that you're highly calculated, you know, with 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 risk, but also not you don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. No. Research, informed decisions as much as you possibly can, increase the peripheral vision, but eventually you just have to to jump. And I, I love that concept of um, stealing this from Robert Kiyosaki. I'm sure other people have said it too. But every risky move you take, make sure you learn or earn, or both, but never neither. <laughs> you know, so like, if you're taking a risk, you might not make any money. In fact, you might lose a lot of money, you know, another episode. <laughs> I can talk about that. But if you don't learn through that, then that's the most expensive. Yeah. You know, that's, that's super expensive if you don't learn anything. And so it's, it's kind of that whole idea of falling upwards. Yeah. So, so, so you make this pivot into real estate and talk about, why real estate specifically versus all the things you could have gone and done at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
It's an interesting question. There were so many different avenues that I was looking at. I definitely knew I was a little bit of averse to a corporate culture or yeah. corporate environment. I just didn't like the concept of go somewhere mm-hmm. and re- whether you excel or whether you're performing at average, you're going to move up at the same rate. Mm-hmm. Right. I just didn't want that environment. Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to be able to have a little bit of autonomy. Yeah. Okay. Right. To, you know, kind of like running your own business because we've been doing it for several years now. Yeah. Right. You're already accustomed to it. I think once you, once you're on that drug, yeah, it's, it's really hard to you get off of it. You can't go back. That's so true. You took the blue pill. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so interestingly enough, in all my conversations, and I have an economics background too. So that was the other thing in, in college and loved and geeked out on economics. Mm-hmm. Definitely there's a math side of that. Talked about financial advisors and t- tons of people that I really respected. And those, while it seemed interesting, especially from a coaching mentorship role, mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like that gravitate towards me or I wanted to gravitate towards that as far as what could I do and really drive my own business and build something that I could control. Yes. Right. Yes. And then fortunately had enough good people that I know in real estate. And this is a a funny coincidence, but five years prior to this moment, my wife and I had bought a house in Denver with yours truly, Dave Ness. (laughs) (laughs) And so Dave was definitely on the list of people that I just said, Hey, let's sit down and let's talk and uh, and see what this could look like. Yeah. And so Thrive was definitely one of the places I interviewed, ended up being the place that I, I chose yeah. and was super excited about. And I'll, I'll be honest, at that moment, even though I was excited about Thrive and I knew what it could offer, I don't think I fully understood all of the pieces that I was going to be getting. Yeah, like... I that, didn't either. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. It is hard when you haven't been in the industry like you just don't know what you don't know. Sometimes yeah. you don't even know what to look for, the right questions to ask, right? But you knew enough. Yes. Right. And I got you here. And then how did you two get connected? Were you were you a oh. Zillow? Zillow. 100% online lead. <laughs> yes. So good. We met on a dating app. <laughs> we met online. Yes. <laughs> we we bought a house in Fort Collins. It was an unintentional fix and flip. Mm. And our experience was okay. Mm. But because of that experience, and by intentional fix and flip, I mean, we bought it, we owned it for nine months, we only lived in it for the last three, uh, and then we moved. Got it. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so when we came to Denver, we had an okay experience with that agent. I said, okay, I just need to be very intentional. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, social proofing went on, mm-hmm. all the reviews, great, Dave's got a bunch, and we showed up, and he pulls out this gigantic notebook of, hey, this is how we're going to get you in your home. <laughs> and my wife was like, yes, that book is awesome, I'm going to take that home with me, and I knew... It, it was over. Yeah. That was our decision. <laughs> Funny story, by the way, side story. I showed up for the first round of showings, I think it was. Yes. And I had come straight from Wash Park with the family and the kids. So I had shorts, t-shirt and flip-flops on. And I showed up and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, I, I'm running late. I didn't have time to change. So you get me like this. And Christina, David's wife goes, hey, if you ever don't show up like that, you're fired. <laughs> and I was like, you're in. Oh, these yeah. guys are going to be awesome. These are the greatest people of all time. <laughs> I want to be friends with these people for forever. So good. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so I want to leave enough time for yeah, talking about get, real estate investing. Yeah. So just real quick, talk about one or two of your biggest frustrations or challenges coming into real estate for mm-hmm. the first time. And then also talk about one or two of the highlights or most rewarding parts of your real estate career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So 
challenges. I will say the first, so here, here's actually a good example. My first year, I actually probably took a lot longer than most advisors in our model took to really catch on fire and start to progress and get traction. Mm, um, I actually remember my, my mentor at the time, Kevin Shelley. Yeah. I remember I was four months in, he actually sat me down and he said, Hey, are you, are you freaking out? Are you worried? Because <laughs> I'm kind of freaking out yeah. right now. <laughs> okay. And, uh, at that moment, I don't think I really knew the power of the lead generation system that we had put together at Thrive. Yeah. I didn't really get it yet. Right. And so I was just thinking, oh, I'll, I'll work with my friends and whatever leads I get from the company, they'll be icing on the cake. Like right. extra. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So first six months, I think I ended up doing three transactions. Mm -hmm. And then the second six months, I did 14. Yeah. And so I finally started to see... Clicked. Exactly. Some yeah. things clicked. I also started to see, okay the work ethic that you have over in these other areas, you just need to continue to do a little bit of that grinding yeah. and continue to follow up. It's not a work from eight to eight kind of grind in one day. It's a, you know, with this individual, you just need to stay present. You just need to continue to provide them what they need. Yeah. And also, I think there's a little bit of self-awareness. Mm, it's so big. There were... Um, it's really big. Yeah, and I remember in 2018... We were in, and we've been in a lot of competitive markets, yeah. at least here in Denver. Mm -hmm. I remember one of my biggest areas where I kept struggling was competitive offers, competitive situations. Mm -hmm. And so I actually grabbed a few of the, the top producers here and I just sat them down and I said, how are you approaching this? Mm -hmm. And every time you're in the situation, I want you to call me and fill me in on what you're doing or just let me be a silent voice on the phone and let me hear what you do. Oh, so good. Um, awesome. But I think that was probably the best thing that I was able to do is try to glean from other people that were doing it yep. and being aware of what my weak spots were early yeah. on. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. I, lo I love the, when you say self-awareness, that, that can go in so many different directions. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I'll just say this, you had the self-awareness enough to say, hey, there's other people that are performing well. I can perform well too, but there might just be a tactic or a strategy or a tool that I might be missing. So I'm gonna, again, you're an entrepreneur, so I'm gonna self-start. I'm not waiting for them to call me. I'm not waiting for a blog post on the company internet. I'm not waiting for Tom Ferry or some other coach to put out a, you know, a video. Yeah. I'm going to go search for the tools, the resources, the strategies, tactics that I need. And I'm going to find them. And when I do, I'm going to do it. And yeah. you did. That's so awesome. Yeah. And just hats off to you. Like, I, I want to pause there and, and point that out because it's so rare to find somebody that has the level of self-confidence like Ness is talking about to be a self-starter and not rely on other people. Like I'm going to go make this happen. Mm. But then also to have this high level of self-confidence paired up with this high level of humility mm. to be able to go to people and ask for help and admit like, Hey, I don't have all this figured out. Yeah. Right. Cause we see sometimes yeah. people have the humility, but they worry that they're bothering the top performers or they're bothering the experienced mm. people or they're willing to go ask, but they don't have the humility to receive what that person is is necessarily giving them. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I think I was also the beneficiary of not having, not lucking into success mm. early on mm -hmm. and continuing having to go into that wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that also forced me in the situation of, okay, I have to figure a way over this wall and what is that? Right. Yeah. And so that's reaching out to other people because I think if you luck into success early, you don't have that opportunity of failure to figure out what your weak spots are. Totally. Well, and that can lead to imposter syndrome. Yep. Right. Yeah, 100%. Like, 
I lucked into this. I didn't deserve it. Yes. Right. Through hard work, preparation, study, coachability. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good. And then what have been some of the most rewarding parts and what have been some of the highlights of your career over the last over five years? Oh yeah. It's easy. It's either clients that you're working with and working through really difficult, tough situations or in, and I've been fortunate to also be in some mentorship situations and have some agents or as we like to call them advisors really excel and move into positions where they just never thought they could be possible. Right. And there's so many stories. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other episode on some, some wild stories. Yeah, this is where, this is where I wish we had more time. Yeah. But, um, that's a really, really great opportunity. This role, you just get to work in so many one-on-one, very personal yeah. situations. I mean, the, the role that you play in these people's lives, it's huge. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, some people that, you know, literally they are telling me they're days away from losing their home. Yeah. And we were able to sell it. Yeah. And get them the money that they need and into a good position and all that kind of stuff. So cool. And then other situations where it's a little bit more exciting and light and hey, we're moving on to this really, really great situation. And uh, or other people where you just say, Hey, it took we were attached to the hip and you were the agent and I was working as your mentor and you now are in this great situation where you have all these skills and you've gleaned all these things. And it's kind of like, I hate to say it, but like letting the bird jump out of the nest and totally. fly. Yeah. yeah. yeah 100%. <laughs> so those would easily be the things And I've got, I mean, a handful of people already that you know, I could name off that are, you know, you've impacted and you're excited about and, and they're super rewarding. Totally. So, so let me, we'll go into the last phase of today's episode and you know, our vision statement at thrive is helping people move to their better life. That that's the whole why behind everything we do, which no surprise that was where a lot of that emotion came from is helping clients you worked with move to their better life through, yeah. you know, buying and selling homes or these people you're mentoring and helping them move to their better life and watching them grow and get to their next level by leading them, leading by example, pouring into them. It's so good. And then if we fast forward through here, you are in year five and talk to us about you sort of paid your dues on the front end of the career, <laughs> like building this database, putting in the hard work, like gaining experience, gaining knowledge, yeah. learning for yourself. But then eventually you reached the point where you got into real estate investing and you started building this portfolio and you're at 24 doors as of today. Correct. Talk to us about how you started on, like, when did you start on that journey? How did you start on that journey? And then that is not without its own friction points, right? There's... <laughs> It's overwhelming, right? Like there's a lot of... you. Yeah, go, just a couple of clicks on Amazon. <laughs> 24 doors, done. Right. Cash flow immediately. All no these risk. different sources. You could go long-term, short-term, multifamily, you yes. know, local, out-of-state, you know, mid-term. You can do mid-term rentals. You can do fix and flips. You can do the Burr method, right? Like yes. there's all these different things that you can do. And so to Dave's point, you you are incredibly cerebral, but you're not somebody who falls into analysis paralysis. So how did you get to the point where you knew it was time how did you pick the route that you have gone? And then talk to us about some of the highlights and lowlights of real estate investing as you progress through your personal real estate career. Sure. Yeah, I think the real estate investing probably mimicked the personal or really that we'll call it the professional life of we made calculated risks. Yeah. Right. They weren't crazy, but we felt like we were in the position where we could try this. Yeah. And the floor was right. Yeah. Worst case scenario. So Actually, the first real estate investment, I, I joked about the unintentional flip. Oh, yeah. uh, we, won't, we won't talk about that one. But really, it was our primary residence sure. that we bought with Dave Ness. Yeah. And 
I don't know if you remember this, but I, I felt like we were the worst client ever <laughs> because I was so gung-ho on, we have to find a house that can be split into two units because I wanted to, it, now it's called house hacking. I was going to say, you were knows. doing house hacking before yeah. house yes. hacking was really a big thing. Exactly, but it wasn't a thing back then. And I don't know why we connected with it, but I was just in my head, I was like, we have to have this. And I remember looking for weeks and weeks and weeks and Dave was like, oh my gosh, these people are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually remember the house that we ended up buying, it was probably the last house we looked at and we were about to say, hey, we need to either expand our search, we need to change things. Yep. And we just lucked into an awesome situation where things didn't need to be changed and uh, it worked out great. Awesome. So yeah. you know, we bought a house, had a carriage house, we rented out the carriage house and uh, it was fantastic. And that was our first real taste of being landlords, investors. And I loved it because we were so close to the property, you had to be right. hands-on. You were right there. Yeah. 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 Which is a, a great way to get in. What was the, what's the first property that you bought that you've never lived in? Yes. Was it here locally or? No. So this would have been right around in 2018 okay. when I started the real estate agent career. Yeah. Again, it was a, a bit of a calculated risk, but I, we had some funds, but we didn't have a ton. Yeah. And so I said, okay, the price point needs to be a little bit lower in sure. Denver, super expensive even at that time. Yeah. But I, of course, like everybody is, I was also in love with this idea of cash flow, right? Yes. And so looking for areas that, hey, what fits this 1% rule of where cash flow is really high and rents are high compared to the property value. So we actually got hooked up with what's basically called a, a turnkey investor, Yep. right? And uh, we, we bought two properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Memphis, okay. Yep. And real quick, just two sentences. Yes. What's a turnkey? Turnkey, so listeners. no, great question. It's basically the concept where you come in and the property is purchased already. It's yep. rehabbed with the intent that you're going to rent it. Yep. And sometimes they already actually have renters in place. Yep. In our situation, they didn't but they already had renters that were potentially ready to go. We got connected with a property manager mm-hmm. and we even got connected with a lender who could work mm-hmm. in that area. So again, that was a situation where I said, okay, this is minimal risk. Mm-hmm. This company's doing this over and over and over. Let's give this a go. In worst case scenario, it's a low price point. Right. Right. So yeah. we're, we're investing minimal money into this. And what type of loan did you do on that property? Yeah, it was actually personal loan in our name. Was it an investment loan? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So we had to put 25% down. Okay. Yeah. Nice. But the price point was 105. Got it. Yeah. 105,000. Oh, easy peasy. Yeah. So here's, here's one of my questions that I've been on the edge of my seat to ask you. Yeah. So buying your primary residence with a with an ADU, as it were, which is an accessory dwelling unit for folks that are listening in, is one thing. That's That, that can be nerve-wracking and full of emotion and full of anxiety, for sure. But buying something that's you're not going to live in and that's strictly an investment... The anxiety around that for the listeners, I'd love for you to talk about what was your biggest mental blocks before you actually pulled the trigger to do that, even with a turnkey situation. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, think back to that because now 24 doors, a lot of listeners are like, well, I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. And he's probably got all systems and, you know, property managers and QuickBooks and the whole thing set up. But that first one, what were the, what, what was like the, top or you know one or two mental blocks not knowledge blocks or any of that just mental blocks and then when you made the decision what did it feel like and what did it look like on the other side of those mental blocks mm. interesting i probably felt 
a little bit more of that on our next investment. Okay. So cool. then I can Let's talk about that one. Do you want me to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So we very quickly, Memphis ended up being pretty good. We were also fortunate during that window that, you know, property prices nationally were going up. Oh, sure. We were yeah, super fortunate there. We ended up selling those. And then I ended up, I called it my COVID project. <laughs> <laughs> March, April of 2020. Yeah. I literally spent six to eight weeks mm. just investing. And I think this might be a little bit of what you're talking about is how to get over those mental blocks. Yes. Of I said, okay, I'm not just going to like look at a metro, but I'm going to call and personally speak with the property manager that I want to work with for half an hour. Mm. And I'm going to ask very specific questions. I thought my biggest learning moment for our out-of-state properties in Memphis was that I just didn't really have a good buy box. And by that, I mean, what are the parameters, right? What's the price point? What's the area that you want to be in? What kind of a house do you want? All of those pieces. And why? And why? Yeah. What's the strategy? Yeah, exactly. What you're getting at, yeah. And so I really was able to hone in on what's the strategy and what's our buy box. And I, I pivoted a little bit and identified that I wanted to invest in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, yeah. And, and I got to the point where you could send me an address. I'd plug in the address into Google. Yep. And within five seconds, I could tell you yes or no. Oh, wow. Because just from the ge geographic area, yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be in an area where it was street to street. Mm -hmm. Because there are plenty of those in every metropolitan area. But I wanted to be in an area where I could say, yep, in this large area, anything works. You're good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think I during that window, <laughs> during yep. my, my COVID, project, COVID project, I spent enough time connecting with the people that were important enough yeah. and that really were knowledgeable. I got an agent out there just in case I needed one that would actually literally would go and I'd pay them like 20 bucks and they'd do a video for me and they would walk through it and I could ask them questions, you know, kind of like a Zoom. Awesome. Right? Yeah. I got somebody that was ready to do all the rent readies. Okay. So I felt like I had all the stuff ready to go. So that before like, you ever bought anything. Before I bought anything. So let's just recap real quick because yeah. there's some nuggets in here. Big so fact. good. So... Did you pay anybody else besides a real estate agent 20 bucks to go video? No. So it didn't cost you barely anything, right? And then what it did cost you was your time, but that's not a cost in this situation. That too is an investment because you're setting up a, a system and not just a system, but you're also making valuable contacts, right? Of the people that are boots on the ground in that area. Because Correct. if you're not going to be there, or even if you are there, the trust has to be pretty high. It's huge. You got to feel comfortable. You got to feel like they're professional. You got to feel like they're going to support your intent. You got to feel like they're going to advocate for you, you know, when you're not there. But all of that happened before you pulled out your checkbook. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. Okay. And that was of all of the investments we've made, or at least areas where we started to invest, yeah. that was the biggest mental block. That one for sure. Got it. And to top it all off, the first property we bought over there most of them actually were, this one was from my wholesaler. Okay. So, and for the listeners, yes. what's a wholesaler? It's literally somebody that's trying to source properties. They find it, let's say John Smith yep. he needs to sell the property and he wants out. I get an email and it literally has five, six pictures, yep. maybe a couple. It says, here's the price that we want you to pay. You have to pay all cash. You're closing in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> And usually there's no inspection and no contingencies. Like appraisal yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And no, by the way, if you want to go under contract, we need you to wire your money in the next five minutes. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, you can imagine in that situation. You're ready. Oh, yeah. And so I, I probably went through the cycle of looking at a few properties from these wholesalers. Sure. 
and missed on a, a few yeah. just because you're trying to go through the mental gymnastics of, okay, am I ready? Yeah. This one looks good. This is interesting. And, oh, that one went within like 15 minutes yeah. of the email getting sent out. That must have been a good deal. Yeah. And I thought it was a good deal, but it reaffirmed it was a good deal. Yeah, it it's validating. Fast. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we bought our first one through Wholesaler. We paid, you know, all cash for it. And we were doing the Burr method yeah. for a lot of our properties over there. We've done Burr. And what's and, the Burr method real quick? Yeah. So coined by, we'll give credit to, to Brandon Turner, Bigger Pockets for yeah. this one. Okay. So it's a B-R-R-R-R, buy rent. Actually, the backup. So buy rehab. There you go. Yep. And then you're renting it. Yep. Then you're refinancing. You're getting the money back out. You're getting your money back yeah, out. And then... If you can, you're repeating the whole process. Yeah. Right. Rinse and repeat. Exactly. Yeah. So the fun piece about that, and again, when we talk about calculated risks was ideally in this situation, the way we performed it, we were going to be 75% into the property. Yeah. And so we had a lot of wiggle room if we screwed up our, our purchase price, if we screwed up our rehabs, all of the things. Got it. So yeah, that was the exciting piece. And yeah, and away we go. There's so, so many nuggets there. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible. I just ask ask you about the mentality piece because that's so untalked about. I guess I would say, you know, yeah. Everybody, everybody knows you got to have your money straightened out. You got to have a some kind of buy box or you know something to to be able to to look at, like you said. And so um, I just wanted to hit on the the that part of it because the mentality piece and the psychology of it it's a lot of money, and it's a it's not something you can just you know if you, if you're buying a stock and you buy it and then you're spouse gets home and yells at you for buying it you can just sell it yes like the same day you know what i mean and and so uh but, but with real estate i think the mental friction there becomes well you you can sell it but that's not an easy thing to do like you got it's frictionful so to speak and so i just wanted to touch on the mentality piece which is which is huge yeah so talk a little bit about you've scaled then we're talking about the very infancy of your real estate investing career you've scaled up to 24 doors what have been some of the friction points that you've encountered along the way? <laughs> oh, gosh. There, I mean, with real estate investing, I think it's easy. There's always two that are always going to happen. It's money mm-hmm. and deals. Mm. Those are always going to be, I think, your first two friction points when it comes to growing and actually having the deal. We were able to be creative with some different strategies on the money side. And I think the Burr method helped initially. Okay. Because a lot of those, and the first deal is a perfect example, it actually was a bad situation because we ended up refinancing $5,000 more money out of the property than we actually put in. Nice. And so it was great in the fact that we had this phenomenal result. It was bad in the fact that I was like, oh, this is great. This is going to happen every time. (laughs) Let's do this again. Exactly. (laughs) This is like going to the craps table (laughs) for the very first time and learning how to play craps and somebody goes on a 50-minute heater and you're like, this is the easiest game of all time. You're like, I got this figured out. (laughs) Yeah, give it two more minutes. (laughs) I'm speaking from personal experience. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, you're sitting there thinking, why isn't everybody else doing this? I should do this more often. Mm -hmm. And then we were fortunate we were able to come up with some, some pretty cool strategies to reduce seasoning periods to tr- try to get around some of the lending issues sure. that you run into. So that helped increase our, our money that yep. was at dis- our disposal. Deals were always a question mark. And so we, we ended up trying to get more wholesaler relationships. Yeah. I think what you're saying is even if you have a pile of cash and you're like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. If there's nothing to buy, then yeah, that's a problem. And so you have to pay attention to that part of the business, which is sourcing. 
sourcing essentially exactly either you're going to do it or someone else is going to do it or maybe a little bit of both right and and particularly for our strategy there's no big website where every wholesaler posts all of these properties it's a damn good idea it's a great idea (laughs) it's a business idea right now We should probably not release this episode. <laughs> Come up with this. Yeah, that is really good. Can you guys sign this right now? So how did you then go go about finding the wholesalers that you did work with? Again, it's it's a kind of one of those. It was during COVID. It was when things settled down a little bit, but it was more of just for three, four hours. You Google search it mm. and you call every wholesaler that you know. Then you ask the agents that you have contacts with in, in the city, hey, yeah. do you know any of good wholesalers? And just pretty much anybody that you can think of. Just networking. It's exactly it. Yeah. And but you do have to pick up the phone and actually do something. You've got to do the work. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we increased our, our deal flow, or at least what we were getting in, and that at least gave us enough opportunities where I felt like, okay, we're getting some things in, and I just have to now analyze it and decide what we want to move forward with. So we did, gosh, over the next year and a half, we probably did a property every four months okay. where we bring it in, rehab it, get the money out and put it into the next one. Single door properties? Yeah. These single, are all single, single family, family homes. Yeah. Okay. Correct. And that was our specific buy box. Yep. And then again, because of relationships, you know, there's this concept where I was actually able to then kind of move up and I, instead of buying a single family, I bought two duplexes. There we go. That's yep. what I was waiting for. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so those four units all in one kind of, one transaction? One foul swoop. They were yep. right next to each other. One transaction. Nice. Yeah. And that was kind of moving up and saying, okay, we're going to take the same method. We're just going to turn the dial Keep a little going. bit. Right. Yeah. And then our, our big, our big jump was really last summer is about a year ago this time. And again, it was a relationship yep. where it was somebody in an area that I already knew they had a large amount of properties that they wanted to sell. And in that situation, we we haven't done the exact per method, but we did a huge owner financing. Oh, okay. Go. So we bought 14 units all from owner financed. Yeah. 100%. Nice. And, the, yeah. and for the listeners, one of the geniuses behind owner financing is that the um, the loan's not coming from a bank and therefore it doesn't show up on your credit, which is a pretty big deal if you're trying to invest in properties. Most banks have a you know eight to 10 unit limit where, where they kind of start freaking out a little bit. Uh, at least the name brands out there, you know, the U.S. banks, the Chase's, Wells Fargo's and all that. It doesn't mean you can't do it. There's plenty of local banks usually that are willing to do that or just private money. But it's still awesome that you could buy 14 units. Is that right? 14? Correct. 14 units and have it not show up in your credit. Correct. Anywhere. And not pull a dollar out of my bank account. And, and no, yeah. So it's like you you bought it for free. I mean, not really, but right. no money out of pocket. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. It's awesome. It's so good. So... Yeah, and we've been, you know, for the last 12 months or so, I like to call stabilizing mm-hmm. that project because there's a reason why they wanted to sell 14 units sure. you know, all sure. at once. <laughs> right, right. There's, there's always a reason. There's always a reason. Yeah. But yeah, now we're in the, the position I, when I looked at our life, and by that I mean my, my wife and I, yeah. I've, we kind of put it into phases. Mm-hmm. And phase one was, can we get to a point where we say, hey, all the properties that we have will cover our expenses and especially our retirement. Yes. Right. And uh, we're very fortunate. We're we're kind of at that point now. Yes. And so now the future investing, the vision has changed a little bit. And now it's okay. What what do we want to do? Yeah. And what sounds exciting? Yeah. And now the negative of that is that there are so many opportunities. <laughs> it's <laughs> right, almost right. better when the vision is narrowed and you say, "I have to do this." Yeah. yeah. It's more targeted. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's okay. We've got a lot of different opportunities here and, and that kind of stuff. So. Okay. 
And and really quick, I got to ask this. This wasn't you know part yeah. of the necessarily the uh, agenda, but there's probably a lot of real estate agents that are listening more than likely. Talk about how what it feels like at this point to you're still in real estate, you're still acting as an advisor, and you're still working with clients. And because of that, and just the nature of the industry, there's really nothing anybody can do about it. Some months are big, some months are small. Some quarters are big, some quarters are small. It's just this never-ending up, down, up, down. You just there's there's very little predictability when you're in an industry where you you eat what you kill. And real estate's not the only one. Medical sales or wherever else, it's just straight commission. You could you could go way up, you could go way down, and we're not promised anything. And that creates a lot of anxiety. It creates a lot of question marks. It creates a lot of like just frustration sometimes. So what does it now mean to you and Christina and your family that that will continue, that that dynamic will continue, but I'm guessing you're not nearly as worried about that anymore. Yeah. It's a, it's a game changer. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We've gone through a huge family change (laughs) over the last five years. And when I started in real estate, we had no kids, right? We now have two and one on the way. I mean, that's a big shift. Yeah. And I remember after my second year, no assistant, 41 deals in one year, my wife and I looked at each other and we said, we can't do this again. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so having the ability to, to start to pick and choose, this is what I want my day to day and my year to look like, yeah. as opposed to having that being dictated. Kind of have to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is, is we're very fortunate, but it's also exciting. And you're not, you're not even thinking about like you're probably paying no attention to mm. are you going to be able to pay the mortgage are you going to be able to pay insurance are you going to be able to pay xyz abc because there's there's investments that are paying yes. all of that for you yes and so I, I mean if you think about just when you're with a client and they're looking at a property and they're saying oh, okay they're questioning themselves yeah and maybe even legitimately say, sure. hey, yeah. inspection came in bad or whatever. And sometimes I'm sure there are agents out there who say, oh, but it's okay. Like, yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I can totally be in the position of, and, and we should be anyways. Yes. But now I have extra ammunition to say, I'm on your timeline. I'm on your schedule. Yeah. Whatever's best for you guys, let's do it. Yeah. If we need to terminate. Which, which then ironically, of course, makes people want to work with you even more. Yes. Referrals, repeats. Exactly. The whole thing just kind of. Yeah, it's snowballs. snowballs big time. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I just wanted to call that out because, you know, like we were talking about previously in the episode, when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change. Yes. That that's usually when humans take steps forward. And um, and that's a painful position to be in for anybody who's listening. And maybe maybe you're not in a real estate agent position, maybe you're not straight commission, but you're kind of looking at your life going, Man, is there any way I could just get my life costs? paid for covered. Mm-hmm. And what would that mean? Forget about becoming a millionaire or having, you know, 50 grand a month coming in and all that maybe, but, but just having mortgage, food, insurance, gas, like just basic necessities kind of done where you just don't even have to think about it anymore. It's just a massive game changer. And that's the preferred picture of the future is that. And so maybe we encourage, you know, all of our listeners to keep that in the future. That will be what gives you the strength, gives you the ability, the guts, as it were, to buy that first property. And maybe you buy 24, maybe you don't, but to buy that first one is huge, but, but it's gotta be for a reason, right? Yes. It's gotta be for, I'm sure you didn't do it just for fun. No, <laughs> like, it was connected. We had a ma- it had all mapped out and how many properties do we need to get to point X? Yes. Right. Yep. 
And then it changes once you get there, the pain, the pain changes a little bit. Yeah. Right. And then you start to think about different things. And then just logically, I'll throw this out there too, just uh, logically speaking, my guess is you're going to probably acquire more, but even if you didn't, what are those 24 doors on average, just, just kind of ballpark, what do they each rent for roughly? Yeah, they're probably somewhere in the twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a month range. Okay, so we'll just take it on the low end, twelve hundred. What's Rob? What's twelve hundred times twenty four? Oh boy! <laughs> Here, no, 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 no! I got this. Two two eighty eight. Is that I right? Think. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know this is probably a boring part of the podcast for the <laughs> listeners. Like, what a bunch of. So yeah, it's it's. You're right. It's tw- uh, $29,000. That's why they pay me. The that's right. <laughs> so there you go. So call it thirty grand, And and if the listener's like, yeah, 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 but there's still a mortgage. Well, there's not always going to be a mortgage. No. Right? So that's going to get paid off and not by you. Correct. But by the people you've recruited, they're called tenants, to help you pay your mortgage down. Well, and that's what they're, that's what they're renting for today. You think about fast forward to those guys gone. Yeah, fast forward to the point where well, it sounds like some of them you bought for cash and they may be paid off, but you know, on a normal, I'm putting twenty to thirty percent down, and it's going to take me even if you throw some extra in on the payments every month. Yeah, you get those paid off in the next 15, 20, 25 years. But whenever they whenever they're paid off and they flip, that's where I was going. Yeah, that's pure Mm -hmm. that's pure profit. That's and I'm thinking that's probably what you and Christina are looking at going. And I don't know what your specific plan is, but if I'm guessing, I'd probably be going, yeah, if they have 24 doors, I'll rent it 1200 bucks each, then that's roughly 30 grand a month. And that's in today's terms. But even if we just did that and said, yeah, we're never going to increase rents, which is never going to happen. But, but uh, even if that were true, I bet you're looking at it going, yeah, kids are graduated. It's just Christina and I, our own home is probably paid way down or off. And we have let's call it $25,000 a month coming in because you got to pay a property manager. Yep. I think we would all agree on the podcast. That's, that's fun. <laughs> that's a preferred picture of the future, right? Oh yeah. yeah. And the, and the funny thing is, I'm going to say this now, shut up. But the funny thing is people think people hear that. And my family is very similar to yours. They're not entrepreneurs. They don't think that way. And people hear that and they go, yeah, it's not guaranteed. And part of me goes, you're right. It's not, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's like, we guaranteed. can't say that. And, it's based on an amortization schedule that is a contract. It's math. So kind of is <laughs> It is going to go there. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. Eventually. Now, am I going to live that long? Maybe not. That's not guaranteed. Sure. But um, that's what I love about, that's one of the things I love about real estate is that it's not, it's not guaranteed. I don't want to communicate that, but the, the amortization schedule, you can look at it and go in 27.5 years, we're going to be there. It's based on contract law. It has to be. And it's brilliant. So we got to wrap up. Yeah. I wish we didn't have to because I've, I've got three or four questions written down that I didn't even get to. So this yeah. is so good. Maybe we'll have to do another episode again. We do part two. But real quick, as we're wrapping up, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking at this going, dude, you're for sure writing a story worth telling in a lot of different ways. I definitely think what you shared today is going to help the people that are listening go further faster. Mm-hmm. And you're telling us about your story of moving towards your better life. But I think you also shared some things that are going to help other people move to their better life. So this was a great episode. And as we wrap up, what's a quick plug for this new podcast that you're about to launch the real estate retirement club. I was going to ask that too. So that's perfect. And you get the last word. What Mm -hmm. what do you want the listeners to, to know on this topic? So talk about your 
podcast that you're doing, which I think is going to be amazing. And I'll mm-hmm. definitely be a subscriber. And then just last word and then we'll, we're done. Yeah. So we're actually right in the middle of the first five episodes. It's the real estate retirement club, real estate retirement club. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So if you're, you're listening now, you can go check it out. Instagram, YouTube, we've got awesome. a YouTube channel, there you go. all, all the places. Cool. And the premise is there are so many great gurus out there. There are so many great places for real estate investing advice. This is really geared towards the people who are, Hey, I love my day job, ah, right? I'm yeah. a nurse. Uh, maybe I'm a teacher. Yeah. Uh, maybe you are a social worker, whatever you are doing, you don't have to completely uproot your life and change things in order to enjoy the fruits of real estate investing. There we go. And you don't have to own 20 doors. And there are a lot of places where you can own two, three, four doors. Sure. And it massively changes your life. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And so that's that was the really the impetus for me is there are so many places out there where they say, hey, here's a really tricky strategy. Come follow me. Or, hey, come work with us and we'll get you 40 doors. Yeah. And my whole concept was how do we help people get a little bit more financial independence? Mm. And maybe you just buy one or two doors with really, really simple strategies yeah. that as anybody, you're your job. as you're doing your job, right. as you're going about your life, so good. Uh, that anybody can do. Yeah. So that's perfect. Yeah. This is a different topic for a different day. But one of the things that's really cool is if you just get the journey started, once you get a property or two, if you've held them for a while, it starts to open up. It's easier and easier to get your next property once you own one, right? Because of equity, because of appreciation. Right. So we don't have time to get into that, but, but I love that. Sometimes you feel this pressure of like, I got to do these big things like David is doing mm-hmm. within a fairly short time frame. And the, and the truth is you don't, you just need to get the journey started. So, so definitely, definitely tune into the real estate retirement club. And then as Dave said, any final thoughts or any closing words of advice or wisdom you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is people should be, intentional with their life. Mm. And I know that sounds a little bit strange, but it's so easy to work and go to day, go to work every day and think about things and say, okay, this is what I'm being told I should do, mm. or this is what everybody else is doing. And sometimes that's the right thing for you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you should just sit back and look at it and say, okay, is that what is right for me? Or what could I do? Mm. And so I think if people were just a little bit more intentional and they put together their ideas of what do I want my better life to look like yeah. five, 10, 15 years down the road, there's a lot of power in that. So when are we scheduling the next episode of living an intentional life with you? <laughs> we got to have you back on here. So good. It's we could, a lot of fun. We could riff on that for, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. So good. Exactly. I love that advice. It, it actually, it has implications for me and I, I love it. So Thank you for being here. Thanks for spending the time. Thanks for uh, sharing the wisdom and your experience. And yeah, we'll definitely want to have you back. Love you guys. Cheers. Thanks, man.